Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the CrickBlog podcast. Joined as always by one of your hosts, Sharpwell here from CrickBlog, and my co-host, Nash, based up in Darwin. Nash, how are you, mate? How was your weekend? Yeah, I'm good. It was, um, it was a good weekend. It was another bye weekend, so we did not play any cricket, um, which is you know good to have two weeks rest, and we'll be back up again this weekend. So all in all, a good weekend, relaxed weekend. So yeah, what about you? How was your weekend? Busy, mate, with the family and stuff. Uh, yeah. Caught a bit of the test cricket, England and New Zealand. Um, in the end, I was pretty happy I didn't stay up throughout the night to watch day five. Uh, so we'll chat about that. We'll have an England-New Zealand test review. Um, in this episode, we'll also look at West Indies-South Africa, which is starting this week, and we had a chat to Dan Osmond from South Africa. He's, he's very funny. We had a few good laughs in that interview. And we had a look at um, South Africa's chances, uh, not only in the tests against West Indies, but also in the T20s. Um, but I think the biggest topic right now, for me, anyways, is Ollie Robinson. Um, he's been suspended indefinitely from international cricket as the England Cricket Board conducted an investigation relating to racist and sexist tweets from Robinson 2012 and 2013. Yeah. So he was a teenager at the time. It's nearly a decade now. Um, look, I, I feel quite strongly about this uh, in, a, in a, a bit of a different angle. Um, but before I go into, into my take on it, Nash, what, what are your thoughts on, on the topic? Look, I think it, it, it is interesting because these sort of, uh, whatever you want to call it, racism and, you know, mocking people from other race, mm. uh, which can be called racism, um, you know, these allegations keep coming up in English cricket. Yep. You have to wonder what sort of environment, what sort of surroundings these youngsters are growing up in that they feel that this is, this is, you know, this is okay to put out there in, in the world, in the, in the, in, on social media. And it's more so that why he has been suspended is because ECB can't have him, you know, play in the, in English shirt ar- around the world for England, while there's an ongoing investigation around racism allegations. So, um, that that's why he's suspended. He's in banned for life. He's in banned for so many test matches. Or, you know, so who knows? Is there a chance he'll yeah, never exactly. play again? Is there a chance he'll never play again? I don't think so. I think you never know. Again. You never know. Yeah, you never know. You never know. But That's a problem. you know, it's there's people saying ECB is just trying to save face. You know, ECB is 100. Uh, should sh- exactly should ECB should look. Um, you know what Josh Butler is did a few years ago. But the thing is, ECB should actually use this opportunity to teach young cricketers, including cricketers like Ollie Robinson to actually, you know, educate them to, to tell them the why this is wrong. It's more of a why question than, you know, what you did unless and until these youngsters understand why it is wrong to say these things, they are, they're going to keep saying it unless and until they empathize with the issues that are, you know, that face the, um, you know, subcontinental people in, in countries like England, countries like Australia, these pe- the people, the youngsters are keep going to keep, you know, yeah. doing what they're doing. I'm not saying all youngsters. I'm so I'm saying youngsters which are it's, born it's, and it's, bred in these environment in, in this sort of surroundings. Youngsters are definitely brought up in that culture. There's been yeah. there's been a history of systematic racism in England cricket. Exactly. It's the exactly. point I'm going to bring up. There's been a culture of systematic racism in England cricket. Then you got a teenager who is brought up in that culture, thinks it's normal. 
a mistake is yeah. going to happen. Now, look, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Ollie Robinson is not without fault here. What he said was terrible. Uh, there was some, you know, probably a 17, 18 year old kid who was bored out of his life who went to Ollie Robinson's Twitter profile and dug up all these tweets Believe from the it, yeah. past. Otherwise, it would have never been found out. You know, no, that's the that's thing. Wrong. And it, it, it goes it goes to show that the importance is on social media these days. You know, all the cricket boards, everyone who's involved in, in, the, in the public eye and who has the attention of thousands and thousands and millions of people all, all over the world, they need to understand that you have to, uh, you can call it almost a vetting process, doesn't it? Like mm. what, what they do for politicians and everyone. It, it has to happen for everyone. What sort of environment have they been brought up? Yeah, what's this investigation going to find? I'll tell you what this investigation is going to find. It's going to find that there's, this, there's, there's a culture of racism that's rife in England cricket and the ECB, the counties, England cricket in general did not do a good job of educating youngsters and stamping you know, it out, stamping it out earlier in my opinion because you see all these stories come out of racism in cricket and there's a culture of racism. Now, if Ollie Robinson never plays for England again, I'm going to lose it at that decision. I'll tell you why. Because it goes beyond simply the fact that it happened eight, nine years ago. Okay? I'm looking at this beyond that argument. My argument is that the ECB are trying to act like the good boys here when reality when reality says that they're not. Okay? Yep. First of all, nothing was done about Ollie Robinson's tweets back in 2012-13. There would have been people in his team that would have seen that stuff. There would have been Definitely. people, I'm sure, yeah. and maybe his coaches, management, people would have seen that stuff. That tells me that not enough was being done back then. They haven't dealt with it properly in the past. There's a culture of racism that's been historically there in England cricket. Okay? Now, for me, the ECB are trying to clean up their act after what they'll admit years of getting it wrong on the racism front. Okay? They're trying to, get, they're trying to clean up their act. Now, if they ban yeah. Ollie Robinson forever, he doesn't play again, which would be extremely harsh because England cricket board are trying to clean up their act. And for all we know, Ollie Robinson may have cleaned up his own act. Who are we to deny that he's a different person now? Yeah. Eight, nine years Yeah, later. yeah, that's, that's completely true. And I, I, and I agree with that. The thing is, there's so, ma- so much, you know, there's so much gray area in this. There's no black and white. The thing is, everyone is a product of the environment. Everyone grows up, you know, how, you know, they-, yeah, they No one is born a racist. No one is exactly, born a racist. Exactly. You learn it. You learn racism. It's taught. Exactly. And the culture you're brought up in has a massive, and massive uh, that's bearing where, on that. That's where ECB. That's where ECB should. And this goes for all boards, not only ECB, but that's where right now England Cricket Board should focus on, as I said earlier, as to educate these youngsters. Haven't done it well enough. You know, before. they haven't. They haven't. They haven't. Rem- Look at look at what happened last year when England and West Indies series was going on and all the players were taking the knee. Look at how many people came out to say that, oh, this is this is so wrong. Why are they doing this? You know, so many people mm. said, oh, I, I will stop watching cricket. Look at what's happening with the Premier League. It, it happens in the Premier League. Fans are booing players who are taking the knee. Why? Yep. Like th- they are just showing they are just showing their respect and their it, it's. You, you have to wake up and say that it, it, is, it is the time, that now is the time, you know, to take a stand. And it's, it's I, I don't know, it hurts me 
to see these youngsters, you know, their career derailed because of um, what they did as an 18 year old, but it has to happen at to, to, you know, to some extent that he, he needs to be educated as to why this is wrong. Again, yeah. I, I keep stressing on why is the problem. Like you mm-hmm. have to educate these people like why this is wrong, why 100%. this is wrong. Not yeah, you don't you don't you don't only say that, oh, this is wrong. They they are they they'll do it again because they don't know why this is wrong. You know, yeah. why it hurts someone. But why it's also the culture, what they, they exactly. grow up with and they think is acceptable. Like, oh, it's just mm-hmm. banter. Like the yeah. players' union survey from earlier this year, right? It claimed in the UK it claims there's widespread racism in English cricket. Yeah, 38% of the respondents, well, BAME respondents, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, they said that they've been exposed to it. Yeah. The results also said that there's confusion among places to what constitutes racist behavior. So what that tells me is that they're not educated enough. Yeah. Or and, and, there's a culture and again, of, yeah, this is just banter, mate, you know. Exactly. And again, that, the that's the word, that's, that's the phrase that, you know, is so disappointing that, Oh, just it's just banter. It's mm. not. It's you know this this era of casual racism is so rampant. Not only in England, even in Australia. As a brown man in Australia, I can safely say that it, it is there. I have experienced it. Yep. You know, I, you know, I go I go out to play cricket every day. I work in cricket every day, and I, I can say that I have experienced it. But it's it, it again depends on where you put the full. You know, where you have to say to that person then and there. If you don't see it then and there, they'll keep doing it every day. You know, yep. they'll just think, oh, this 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 thing is okay, or you know, Nash doesn't mind, so you know, mm. this thing is okay. It's not okay. It, it, obviously, there there is certain things that you can't say. There's certain things you, which I'm not easily offended by, so you know, I, it doesn't matter to me. But it might matter to someone else. Yep. Again, you have to tell them why it is wrong. Hundred percent. And and for me. It, it, for me, I, I look, as I said before, if Ollie Robinson's not allowed back, that would be a big travesty in my eyes because if England cricket wants to clean up their act after their past mistakes, why should anyone deny that Robinson has changed as a person as well? Yeah. Okay, he did a terrible thing. You know, he admitted that. He's apologized for that. It was bad. It was That's bad. Right. Yeah. But for me, the way I see it is that his tweets and his attitude back then is a product of the culture in English cricket. Yeah, The ECB have made mistakes in terms of how they do racism. Do we cancel them? Do we suspend them and say, no, you're not allowed to exist anymore because you've made mistakes in the past? No. They want to right the wrongs of what they've you know, supposedly not done as yep. well in the past, and they want to make sure they rectify that so racism is driven out of cricket. Yep. You start that by your culture. You start that with the culture that you encourage in the counties, these cricketers, what they're exposed to. That's right. For me, for me, and I believe, I believe, I'll just, I'll say something, maybe touch controversial. I think he's been a bit of a, used as a bit of a scapegoat here to cover. Oh yeah, he's of, definitely. Yeah, he's definitely. To cover, to cover years yeah, of an, no a, a, an England, to, to cover years of a culture in England cricket that has almost yeah. turned a blind eye to racism and said, no, it's not a big deal. It's just a bit of banter. Yeah. You know, we speak about Azim Rafiq last year spoke out about racism at Yorkshire. Surprise, surprise. The investigation is still taking longer than expected. He's lost faith in the investigation. So look at umpires, John Holder and Ismail Dawood. They launched a legal challenge against the ECB, suggesting that their careers as umpires had been adversely affected by institutional racism at the ECB. 
ECB are not angels here. They've made a lot of mistakes yeah. in the past. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. So that's why for me, Ollie Robinson, if he's banned from, from cricket forever, that is a major disappointment. And that is a terrible thing because you look at the culture, there's your problem. Fix it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I, I would also point one thing out, you know, which is which has been evident to me over the last couple of years is because um, I work in cricket, I can say that the effort that has been put by Cricket Australia to counter um, racism in Australian cricket community has been immense. You know, I, I've definitely, this is one thing to point, point out here is the, the lens that they're going to educate youngsters coming through the ranks. I think what happened with Australia under 19s a few years ago was very shameful. And again, it's, again, it's a bunch of school kids who think it is right to say these things, you know, right to mock, mock their fans and insult mm-hmm. their fans. It's, it's not, but the thing is cricket Australia back then took the action immediately, you know, and since then, at least I, you know, I started working in cricket after that. So I, I can only vouch for what happened after that. So since then there has been so many efforts to, you know, educate youngsters, uh, change the environment of cricket com- community cricket clubs. That's where the education starts changing the environment yeah. that you play cricket in, you know, 100%. right from the, right from the community cricket club somewhere, you know, even in Keynes, in Perth, in Melbourne, in Tassie, wherever the education starts from the cricket club that you as an under nine player or as an under 12 player, you go to play cricket at, that's where the education start, starts. That's where the change starts. And that's where Cricket Australia has been focusing their efforts. Not to say that they're not focusing their efforts at the top level, but obviously that's the given. But in the, and behind the curtains, they have made efforts to educate the clubs, educate yep. the volunteers that handle these clubs to, you know, to teach the young players, to teach each other what, what, what is right and what is wrong. And that's where I think these efforts should go from the ECB as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we put it to fans, you know, wrote a piece yesterday there's a lot of split opinion you know people believe you should be suspended or should be dealt with because you know what he said was terrible and no matter how long it ago it was it's a terrible thing others believe it was a long time ago he's he's changed as a person people change he made a mistake um i don't know so you know we, we got a few responses i mean I, i've got one here from amazing fanatic hashtag 45 and 49 what I feel is that this is a grave situation, cannot be wrapped under the carpet. Dealing with it is necessary. The punishment should not be too harsh, however. It should be a match ban or a fine. Um, but another one here from a New Zealand fan, Michael Wagner, at, at my call. He says the statute of limitations for manslaughter in Britain is seven years. However, it seems that the shelf life for immature tweets is much longer. It's an interesting take. Um, you know, I put out a tweet today. I said, um, you know, the ECB and the counties weren't as serious about racism back then as they are now. Um, and if they get the chance to clean up their act, then, you know, why should anyone deny that Robinson has changed as well? Um, the cricket company, they say Robinson is an easy scapegoat. This is nothing but unnecessary signaling from the ECB. And to be brutally, brutally honest doesn't help the cause one bit. It's an interesting take. I think we'll have to see what happens with the investigation. Um, Crick indeed says exactly what happened to the fact that people tend to change. 
Mm. Um, we've got another one here from at Teddy Love. He, he, he's not changed. 21st century and he's doing that. He should never be playing for England, period. Root talking about how he show remorse. Sorry, this and that. That's the problem right there when you have a captain of England siding with a man like that. Um, again, I think it goes deeper than that. It goes, it's, it's from not only now, it's about when he's growing up and when, yep. you know, when exactly. he's, he's grown up as a teenager and he's involved in these cultures where even older men, you know, older teammates are saying these things. And, and he, as a teenager, you know, you're exposed to that stuff. Yep. It's very likely you're going to go out and make a mistake or say something, you know, because that's the culture you're brought up in. Yeah. Ollie Robinson, I think, has learned a very oh, important I, lesson. I, here. You know, I, I, would, I wouldn't call it a mistake because to, to that person, it's not a mistake. It's just they're just, True. they just think it's, you know, it's right to say these things. So it's, I wouldn't call it a mistake because a mistake is, you know, uh, something you do not on purpose, but Interesting. Some people think accidentally. He, so some people think that he did do it on purpose and that he's got those thoughts in his heart. Exactly. His so mind. that's what I think. So I, I I wouldn't say this is a mistake. This yep. was a mistake from Ollie Robinson when he's when he was eighteen. Yep. So you, you've, got 18, fans, just, he, you've got a lot of exactly, fans saying he, otherwise. You've got a lot of fans yep. saying that's the person he is. He's a racist and a sexist person. Can we can we say that now? Do you think he's changed or not? Well, from, well, from what I, I think see that, and from uh, what I'm it's, not, it's not for us to say really, yep. isn't it? Because um, I guess that's what the investigation will hopefully say. Hopefully the investigation is not, you know, swept under the carpet, but you know, um, I hope, I hope he, he's changed. That's, that's all I hope. I hope he's changed. I, I hope he knows why, why saying these things is wrong. Um, I hope he is connected to someone from a different racial background to his and, you know, um, sought help from someone spoken to them, spoken about their struggles, you know. Um, yeah, I hope he's changed. Well, we get this comment from IAS013 saying, ECB should get ready to drop like half of the current England team all have skeletons in their closets. <laughs> I mean, that talks about the the, the culture of England um, and, and ECB has yeah. got to work hard going forward to stamp that out. But, um, you know, Ollie Roberts, I don't know if I've seen anything like after 2013 that he's tweeted or anything recent or anything like that. So there's nothing to suggest that he still believes that because mm. that's what an investigation will tell us and stuff like that. But, but as I was saying earlier, if he's not playing anymore for England, it'd be a real shame because he's worked hard to get to, to test cricket. Everybody works hard to get to test cricket. It'd be a shame if it ends that way. Anyway, we'll see what happens from that. I'm sure we'll know more maybe next week when our uh, next podcast uh, is due. Um, the next episode. Um, just moving on to the test match. You know, we'll discuss England, New Zealand while we're on the subject. Um, and then we'll discuss, we'll move on to West Indies, South Africa, a bit of Netherlands, Ireland as well. Um, what did you make of the first test? I, there was a few, I mean, Bumble, David Lloyd came out and said it was one of the worst test matches he's seen. I don't know if it's one of the worst test matches I've seen. It's not, I, it's I don't not, think so. I think, it's not I a think classic. Too, it's exactly, not a classic. But I think New Zealand still tried to make a test match of it. You know, yeah, by they declaring did. that was a gutsy declaration. That was a ballsy move by Kane Williamson to declare. Question: Would they have done it if Ben Stokes and Josh Butler were playing? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. Conversely, um, you know, it's you know, it was interesting because they, Kane yeah. Williamson backed his bowlers to take the wickets, and which they 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 could have. But I I I don't know. I don't see what's wrong with playing for a draw. When where the draw is a legitimate 
result in a test match. People have forgotten that. In an era what they, of what people say, what people say is if you want to be a great team, you, you risk a defeat to try and win. I know Shane Warne is big on that. And I think that's what made him such a great player. And that's what made the Aussie team so great was they're always willing to risk a defeat to try and win. But but I think this England team, I could see why they didn't throw the kitchen sink at this and go for it too. Because I think you look at the batting lineup they have is inexperienced there and quite a few of them are coming off yeah. uh, duck in the first innings and all that stuff. You look at the lineup, maybe if they had Stokes and Butler in there, it might have been a different story. And Exactly. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's um, an argument England, both ways. England sh- yeah, I- I'm not saying England shouldn't have gone for it. They, they could have because it was only, you know, 3.6 yep. uh, runs per over. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a typical fifth-day pitch where it was inconsistent or it was bouncing way high, you know, way low, or, you know, any sort of inconsistency in the, in the bounce or spin. <laughs> New Zealand don't even have a good spinner, you know. Uh, so... Oh, they could have taken the risk, but as you said, they did not have their two most experienced batters in, in, in the lineup. It was too much pressure on Joe Root. And mm. if, if he falls, do you back someone like Ollie Pope, Zach Crawley, and Dom Sibley to make score the runs? You don't. And even or, even, or, or even survive. because Yeah, even survive. If, if, exactly. if, Root, if Root gets out early and then Sibley goes and the middle order is exposed, exactly. oh, New Zealand got that door open. <laughs> You know, they, they, they ended up scoring 170 for three and, you know, fell, fell behind 100 runs, 103 runs. Mm. Let's, let, for example, Root scored 40 of those runs. Mm. Let's say if he, would have, if he would have gone for it and, you know, uh, got out early, let's say in, in, before, before he got to 10, mm. that was a completely different story. Like you expose, you risk exposing Ollie Pope, who is not in the best, best of... Um, best of form right now, Dan Lawrence, who again um, is in, in the best of form. So James Bracey, James Bracey looked, who's looked playing his first test match, yeah. Ollie Robinson, whose mental strength would be shaky a, right now. Still had a great test, didn't so, he? Though, yeah, still but, had a great but test. But I know yes. what you mean. Mm. Agree so with that. So I, I, I agree with if teams w- w- wish to go for a draw, I don't know what's wrong. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that because draw is a legit result in a test match i think people want to see you know, you'd rather win and people say this you've got an opportunity to win go for it you know and, what i mean and that's the that's what that's the thing with english pundits and english media all together and the whole english cricketing community is that let's say if they would have gone for it and you know oh yeah a collapse a collapse happened and they would have been knocked out be, for 150 they'd be oh, I, yeah. I think they've been pretty quiet the next day what do you reckon mate they would have been yeah, yeah. just get out of bed with a, a cup yeah. of tea and just sit down and relax <laughs> yeah. no they would have been all over it in the media articles left right and center videos left right and center skating uh, reports of this england team no fight no character get rid of half of them all that stuff so that's right that's right i think from an england perspective they would have been happy to see the two openers in this test show grit they're yep. going to need, uh, we were talking about that with the Wigru guys last week. One thing you want to see from England in this series or in this summer is, is players batting more time. Yeah. Sticking true. it out for that's the long true. haul. Test cricket is a patience game. It is, it is a waiting game. Yeah. Rory Burns in the first inning played beautifully. He stuck it out. That was a great knock because without that, and also look, the, the day of rain didn't help New Zealand. But even if Rory Burns, you know, um, got out, before you know 100 
that would have been a big, big blow for England and New Zealand would have got a bigger lead. Mm. That comes back to that missed stumping from BJ Watling when I think Burns was on 67. That was a huge, huge moment. But no, no credit should be taken away from Burns. He was awesome. Um, not a great technique. You know, it's not a technique. You look in the uh, textbook and say, yep, that's the one to follow in terms of how he sets up. And But I think he was very disciplined. I actually read... I actually read something interesting on, on Twitter today from, I think, one of our followers, Sparsh Thelen. I think he, he yep. tweeted something around uh, why Rory Burns t- takes that stance is because he can't look out of his, you know, he can, he only sees out of his left eye really interesting. well. Interesting. And, and um, sorry, not left, right, right eye. And that's the reason why. So he, he wants to get a better view of it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And he can't, he can't, he can't see really well from but it's the also, side, I think. But it's also so, that close bat face. So maybe he's thinking it'd be a bit stronger scoring, uh, you know, on the leg side. But he was so disciplined as well uh, outside of stump. You know, and it's yep. not easy when Tim Siati is swinging the ball beautifully from around the wicket and then getting some to hold its line. And then you'd be really sure about what to leave and what to play. So it was really good from Burns there. I think Sibley, we all know what Dom Sibley's like. You know, he's one for the purists. He's one for the traditionalists. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, he spent time so, at the crease. He's, yeah, sorry. So I just uh, brought, a, brought that tweet up. And um, it yep. says that Rory Burns is actually left-eye dominant. So he actually has to be front-on. So you can uh, see. Yeah, right. yeah that's, why, that's why his stance is like that, that he has to be kind, of, kind of front-on. Um, you know, head looking straight and not not from the side of the eye. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's interesting because you learn every, every, something new every day. So, um, but I, would, I I I do want to touch on one player um, who is giving mixed thoughts to all the English fans is Zach Crawley. Mm. Um, I read a stat where I think thirty nine percent of his career runs came in one innings. That two sixty seven against yeah. Pakistan last year. Hasn't done a lot since. 39%, yeah. And last year, he had a good 2020. Um, He averaged around 52 because of that 267. This year, he has 10 innings and averages 10.60. So Mm. where do you you stand on Zach Crawley? Is there there a better replacement? Does he have a place when Josh Butler comes back or Ben Stokes comes back? Yeah, I think he does because... I've seen enough from him to suggest that he's got some talent and it's, it's worth England here. They've really struggled to, to, to nail that number three spot for quite some time. Now they've tried Joe Root in that position, but he clearly prefers to bat at four. Zach Crawley is not having a good year, but we know he scores when he bats. He's got, he's got really good ability. He looks good on the eye. I know you need more than that, but there's something there to persist with. I'd give him the next test. Mm. Uh, maybe give him the first couple against India as well, because you just want to give him a bit of a longer run to see. But do you think that's that's costing England that number three spot? Oh, who's no, going to replace number, him? Number three, who's going to replace three him? Spot. I don't know. There may be options in the county. You know? Like who? Uh, We've been, maybe, maybe, Dom, Dom, maybe Dom Sibley goes to number three and a, a really good opener comes back in. You know, um, there's so many permutation and combinations that you can have because Dom Sibley is a solid, solid, gritty batsman. Uh, he, he has shown that in India, in Sri Lanka, now in England, he is a gritty batsman who can play that number three role. Mm. And some England needs someone at number three who can play that role. 
like like Pujara does for India, you know, um, Steve Smith does for he. I wouldn't call it's Steve Manus, Smith. A, 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 sorry, Manus. Sorry, not Steve Smith. Manus um, for for Australia. You know, some England needs someone at number three who can play that those long innings, who can carry their bat throughout the innings. For what Rory Burns did in the first innings. You know, England definitely need New Zealand have Kane Williamson. Look at the batsmen for other countries who bat at number three. You know, mm-hmm. where where does England stand in in that aspect? Like, look at the batsmen who are coming through the ranks for other that, other teams. That Crawley, though, I feel has got the potential to to be a good player and to be a very yep. good number three. You know, I just and I agree. My, and if, I, if you drop I, I him agree. now, He's... if you drop him now and just discard him, I think it's just a bit too early. Yeah, if he's only 20, 23 and and, and yeah. you know, um, I'm just to trying to ask the ask the hard question. But I know, I know what you're saying. And you know, do, you want do to... England look at least try to look at someone else? You know, try to have but my a point is my point is that they've looked who else have they looked at the last how many years? The, the number three. Yeah, they've looked at Joe correct. Denley. They've looked at Joe Denley. Joe Root has been there. There, I can't, there's been countless others. I'm sure they've, they've never been able to nail that number three spot. So just yeah. this guy, you've seen he can play. He can play. He's he's been he's not he hasn't had a great county season so far, and he hasn't had yeah. a good new intense cricket so far. But I think a good show of faith might hold him in good stead. This next test against New Zealand, you know, you do a bit of work with him off the field in, in training, yeah, on, on the training pitch. You know, he's a bit loose on off stump, um, mm. and you know, work on a couple of things with him. He's got the talent. That's right. He's got yeah. the talent. You know, we call it in Australia here. We call them tall runs. Tall batsman mm. always looks good, but it's more than just looking good. But he's got the ability there. You know, I remember great players in the past. I'm not saying Zach Cordy's going to be a great of the game, but great players like Steve Waugh and these guys, they had slow starts to their test careers. It can happen. Yeah. But I think if England discard Crawley, it might be a bit too harsh and too soon. I persisted him a little bit longer. Um, Fair enough. Ollie Robinson's performance, you know, we spoke about him at the start um, in terms of you know, everything around the tweets and all that, but what a game he had. Yeah. Runs and wickets, ball beautifully. And he said in the in the lead up to the test, I'm going to get Kane Williamson out in this way. And guess what? The guy did it. How impressed were you with him? Yeah, uh, those, those couple of LBW shots looked a bit if you... um, dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly not to the Hawkeye and to the DRS, but they certainly looked a bit dodgy and... I was like, how is that hitting the stumps? The second one where Kane Williamson was given out. I'm like, how did that hit, how is that hitting the stumps? That doesn't look that doesn't look right. But anyway, he still he score sheet will say LPW Paul Robinson. So um, you know, he had he had as a cricketer, he he looks solid. You know, um, as a cricketer, he he's certainly international material and he can yeah, he can play that all around the role where he can bat down the order and you know, he can give your Gave ball fast and at the at the stumps, so certainly he's a good prospect for England to have at the Ashes. Um, mm. Whether he goes to comes to Australia or not, you know, only time will tell. But as a cricketer, he he looks solid. On to New Zealand. Um, special mention to Devon Conway. What a day to double hundred. This guy has been fantastic, uh, you know, in all three formats of international cricket so far. And what impresses you most about him? I, I feel, for uh, me personally, I feel he's he's so selective in his stroke play. 
Yeah. And he can even score off decent deliveries, but he's so selective. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he maybe had a bit of trouble early on against Mark Wood, the short ball on day one, but yep. then he sort of started to take him on and he was executing that really, really well. He's yep. very solid and he's, he's fantastic. That's, in that's right. And, and, and what impressed me the most is he did not show any nerves. Yeah. You know, playing, playing at lots, playing your debut test at lots, that has to be, you know, that has to be a daunting task isn't it so he did not show any nerves he did, uh, certainly not not on his face he may be you know he may be nervous in seems like a, seems like a calm player usually yeah seems um, like a calm player so that's uh, you know and hit, hit hitting 200 almost more is that more than half of the team's runs i think yeah yeah, I think more it than is, half, yeah. 200 so um, yeah so yeah. Uh, at large getting your name on the on his board so um yeah real real credit to him and i think he 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 has shown in all three formats that he can be um a real mainstay for new zealand in the coming years so hopefully he has a long career um, ahead yeah. of him hopefully yeah. he's 29 so you know maybe 7 8 years more um, that would be really good credit to new zealand for for trying to make a game out of it um they've got a few areas to improve their their batting um a little bit of a collapse on that second day he could have scored more than that 378, but you know, I think Tim Southey's performance excellent. Yep. Also, yep, I thought Jameson um, was, was solid enough. Um, yep, quick to point out, so, sorry, also credit to South Africa for giving New Zealand another cricketer. Um, in Devon Conway, sorry to go there, should have told sorry that, to go there, should have told that to Dan last night in the uh, interview with him. Sorry to go there, but it keeps uh, happening. South so. Africa desperate for, um, for, for batsmen, aren't they? And there's yeah. one there that, that's uh, out of, gone out of their grasp. Um, he's a quality player. And I, I read today, Trent Bolt is a good chance of playing the second test. Yeah. yeah because yeah. the quarantine yep. was relaxed a little bit by the British government. So that'll make things interesting. Who they drop? Probably be one of those two all-rounders, I reckon. One of Santner or DeGranholm, depending on conditions. Um, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's difficult to drop a spinner. Um, depends on that's why I said depends on conditions. Yeah, so, but again, random does does give the batting option doesn't he? You know, better than Trent Bowl. So um, obviously Trent Bowl will play. Yeah, who, but, who else are you going to drop? But you can't drop Sam. Yeah, exactly. You can't drop exactly. Jamison. You can't drop Wagner. Yeah, it'd be incredibly harsh on any of those three if you drop them. Oh no, that. no, I don't think they'll be dropped. It's just, so. it's just New Zealand are going to be in a predicament where. They'll have the Gronholm and Sat or Satna, one of them, as an important batsman down at number yeah. at number seven or something like that. Um, yeah. And then you have those four bowlers. So, you know, it's going to be onus on the top order. And, um, you know, Kane Williamson in particular, a lot's been made of his record in England, not flash. Mm. He didn't have a good test match in this one. So big one at Birmingham. Um, I hope the yeah. weather is good for that. And your prediction of one nil to England, Nash? Could very well come true. So good luck with exactly. that one, mate. Good um, luck with that one. Yeah. I expect to hear all about it when it happens. Um, <laughs> now, we'll just move on to uh, ODIs between uh, Ireland and Netherlands. There's one, the third ODI, the, the side is happening as we speak. Oh, Ireland no, yep. Four for 120 after a bad start, 34.3 overs. It's like a flash back to the past, this ODI series. Slow, slower scoring rates, really low scoring. The first one was a thriller. Um it's great to see the Netherlands getting an opportunity in the Super League. Um, I think this is an important third ODI because these two sides are relatively evenly matched. You think you know the 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 best chance of them getting points is against each other. So 
You want to make sure you try to get maximum points in this series. So this third match, one all, both uh, teams, 10 points each from this series from Super League. They want to try to get that um, going. Um, yep. I've been very impressed with Josh Little from Ireland. I don't know if you've caught a lot mm. of it, but he's a bowler who nearly clocks around 140 kilometers an hour. You don't see a lot of that from Ireland and he's a left arm quick and he's been yep. very impressive. The first two matches took seven wickets in those two games. So looking forward to seeing how he goes in the third match. Um, Harry Tector, an Ireland batsman who's starting to find his feet ever so slowly. The likes of Paul Sterling, he failed today, but he's been mighty consistent. So looking forward to seeing how this match pans out. What have you made of, um, what have you made of the series? I think it's it's been interesting looking at the scores. I think it's certainly gone back to those old times of yes. um, you know um, you know teams scoring less than two hundred and fifty overs and you know the opposition having a hard time to score. But again, it's it's it goes to show that these teams don't have that one day experience. Yes, um, they need more exposure. And they need they need more exposure. They need to play against the top teams. Fans can't can catch teams it on to live improve. stream. You can't expect teams to improve. I agree with you without getting the exposure that they need. But that's correct. Because the that's Netherlands correct. have got some talent there. Max O'Dowd is a talented cricketer. He's shown some good yep. signs in ODI cricket. Um, the likes of um, you know Fred Klassen and, and Tim van der Gupten. Yep. He's um, Sydney born, and he had a great mm. first match. Um, Logan yep. Van ben, ben, Co- ben Cooper's having actually having a poor series. He has, he's having a bit of a standards. tough year. He's having a bit yeah. of a, a rough year. So, um, so look, see how today goes for them. Um, because yep. a series win would be amazing for them. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Ireland, you see the likes of Josh Little, Craig Young, um, you know, Paul Sterling's been there forever. You know, there's talent in these two sides, but we just need to see more opportunities for them. We've spoken about that. You know, for, for our listeners here on this podcast, you can check out our feature on um, Emerging Cricket with uh, Dan from, from um, Dan Beswick from Emerging Cricket. It was awesome. There's a special feature there on the podcast. So be sure to go check that out. Um, now, moving on to Test Cricket, more Test Cricket. There's South Africa, West Indies starting this week. Now, we spoke to Dan Osmond, a fantastic Proteus fan. He's really funny. Um but he also spoke importantly about this series from a South Africa perspective. So you and I, Nash, will talk very briefly because mm. Dan, Dan says the main things in the interview. But what, what's your feeling on this series? It's an interesting one. I think South Africa are the favourites. But I'm not particularly sure why because the West Indies at home are a tough team to play against. Yeah. And South Africa have I, not I, won a lot lately. I, I would go I would go one all in the Test Series. And... Probably four one in the T Twenty series to West Indies. Yep. Um, just based on the fact that you know it, it's South Africa, they are uh, uh, they are hardworking team. They yep. will you know put in the hours. They will put in the effort. Doesn't matter where, who's playing. Doesn't matter where they are playing. So just for that fact, I think I'll batting, give them one Test match. The batting, batting is yeah. The batting like is was fragile. Saying, their selections have been a bit questionable. You can start looking to the future here and picking those talented guys like Van Tonda and these guys yeah. who've been performing well in first-class cricket for a long time. They're not doing it. Um, That's right. Yeah, first and I think that, that, goes to show, that goes to show that they don't trust their youngsters, maybe. That's a problem. Um, you know, they, they, they're banking on experience, but the experience averages below 40. 
So, um, you know, batsmen like Temba Bawuma, batsmen like um, Quinton de Kock, they, I think they average below 30, in, in, in low 30s. No, um, Quinton de Kock's uh, 37, 38 uh, uh, average. Yeah, so high, higher 30s. Yeah, you look at a lot of those it's still top for a test players. match. Yeah, you need more. Yeah. The Cock's more down the order, does well at number seven. But the yep. likes of Bavuma, there's going to be a big spotlight on him in this series. Um, yep. Big spotlight on um, Aiden Markram as well. He's averaging 40, Exactly, exactly. It's a big series Africa, for him. You look, you look at South Africa, they're in a similar predicament to Australia. I was saying, you know, we're looking at someone like Travis Head for the leadership, but he can't nail down his spot in the team. Markram, it's time that mm. he nails down his spot and makes that opening position well and truly his. He's shown some good signs, yep. uh, but he's got to do it more consistently because he's got the class, the talent is there. So... South Africa start as favourites, but I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be an interesting series. Um, the two bowling attacks, I think, will do pretty well in those conditions. Yeah. But it comes down to that, those batting. Um, both sides are a little bit fragile. Um, so speaking of West Indies, South Africa, we, we chatted to Dan Osmond, um, and he provided some good insights regarding that series as well as South Africa's selections in T20 cricket and what really annoys him. So we're here on the Quick Blog Podcast with another very special guest. Uh, a guy who I had a running battle with last year on Twitter. Uh, some great banter with arguably my favourite South African, uh, Dan Osmond, right, at DanCricket93 on Twitter. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. How's the situation where you guys are in South Africa at the moment? Uh, very good, man. We, we're pretty much back, back to normal here in Cape Town. Um, we're heading into our winter, unfortunately. Um, Looks so pretty nice where you are, though. Looks pretty nice, yeah, nice no, and we, sunny. You caught, me, you caught me on a good day, but uh, we're heading into our winter now, but at least we've got a bit of test cricket coming back, so yeah, true. Fine. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we'll be chatting about that. Um, yeah, today, West Indies, South Africa coming up uh, this week. We'll chat a bit about that. Um, but Nash, with a very important question to start off with. Yep. So, welcome, Dan. Welcome to the podcast. And the first question we like to ask our guests is, how did the journey began for you with cricket? Where did the love start for the game? I mean, it's probably tough to pinpoint it. Um, I did grow up with two brothers, uh, you know, one, one about a year older than me, uh, the other about two years younger than me. So, we were all very competitive. Mm. You know, playing in the back garden, I think that's how pretty much everyone starts. Um, but I think sort of watching cricket, I, I could probably pinpoint it to late 90s or early 2000s. Um, I would have been about eight at the time. Um, and South Africa had that uh, famous test series win in India in 1999, 2000. We won, we won the series 2-0. Um, my favorite player at the time was actually Gary Kirsten, who who was one of the more senior players in that side. It would have been like Gary Kirsten, uh, Hansi Kronier, Lance Kuzner, and Alan Donald. They were probably the, the most senior players there. Um, and then you sort of start to look at the young guys that were coming into that side. They would end up becoming the foundation of the, you know, the formidable South African mm. team that we know. Jacques Callis's, your Bouchers, Mutini, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, Herschel Gibbs as well. Um, that's probably when I really, really started getting into it. It was quite a big deal for South Africa. We were obviously only a few years out from our, our isolation from international cricket. That's, that's, that's a good story, isn't it? So which player or which moment or even a match would you say, you know, really hooked you onto, onto the game? Is there, is there a specific moment that you can pinpoint or, or even a player or a match? 
from from those early days not 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 really i mean i was granted I was, I was quite young you know i didn't quite understand the yeah. the importance of winning an away series in india you know i, I obviously couldn't couldn't quite understand it um but going to going a few years later the early 2000s um a young graham smith sort of taking over the captaincy of south africa who were probably ranked sixth seventh in the world at the time in a very similar position to what we are now yeah. going to england i remember the media being especially brutal to him um as the english media tend to be um and then he hit you know he hit those double hundreds and yeah yeah and, yeah and and what does cricket mean to you now in your life where, where how much important does it hold obviously it's it's a sport we all love but how much importance does it does it hold in your life right now yeah i mean uh, i love it it's it's obviously not my my 95 but uh it definitely keeps me sane yeah well actually being a being a south african cricket sport is a bit tough at the moment but generally yeah. speaking it, it keeps me sane that's good I mean, I've been going through your fantastic Twitter account, Dan, um, full of entertainment as always. I noticed you showcased some of the great bowlers, Imran Khan, Alan Donald. Like, who's your favourite quick ever? I know you love your fast bowlers. Is it a, is it one of those Wimpy's guys? Is it is it a, is it a Protea? Maybe even an Aussie? Um, yeah, I mean, I say Mick Lewis is probably my favorite. <laughs> no, all of 2020, no, 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 all I right saw, right. all I saw on Twitter in on, in 2020 was uh, Mick Lewis. <laughs> Dan mentioning Mick Lewis. Yeah, but um, to, you know, to be a bit more serious, I do. I've always appreciated fast bowlers. I mean, South Africa and Australia have that in common. We've always yeah. just been able to produce quality, quality fast bowlers. Um, Donald was sort of the, the the main guy when I was growing up. Everyone mm. you know, spoke about White Lightning, Alan Donald. Um, my favorite of all time, was, you know, it's an easy answer. It has to be Dale Stain. Yeah. And obviously, there's a bit of personal bias in there. Um, but along with him, I would I would say I've always had this idea that the, the perfect four-pronged fast bowling attack would be Malcolm Marshall, Wazim Akram, Glenn McGrath, and Dale Stain. I think in those four bowlers, you've got everything. Yep. You know, you've got the, the swing, the reverse swing, the pace, the aggression, the passion, all of that in those four bowlers. And Shit. I don't think, I don't think you yeah. can pick a better, better four prong fast bowling attack. Should the batsmen the... even turn up if those four fast bowlers are bowling? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no conditions you can hide in there. You know, on True, a green so. wicket, they're going to get you. In India, they're going to get you. Yeah. That's, who, do you, that's who do you open with as a captain? You probably just give them one yeah. over each and rotate. Yeah, I know. You just let them. And the sort innings will out. be over. The innings will be over. <laughs> <in four laughs> overs. Um, yeah, I know that ball's that ball's not going to get old. That's for sure. Through that. Um, speaking of South Africa, you guys are back in action this week in a couple of tests against West Indies. What's your gut feel about this series from a Proteus perspective? And um, will I be bantering you on Twitter, or will you be shouting from the rooftops with joy? <laughs> I mean, t- to be honest, it feels quite strange going into a test series with West Indies as the underdogs. It's not something I've actually experienced in my sort of 20 years of, of watching cricket. You think that's accurate? Um, Do you think, you know, South Africa... I mean, test rankings, test rankings, they're ahead of us. Um, mm. We haven't won an away test series since 2016 against New Zealand. Yep. You know, they've just gone to England. Granted, they lost a series, but they won a test match in England. They're, you know, they're at home... On paper, I think we've won our last two out of seven series. If I'm not mistaken, we beat a very weak Sri Lanka side at home and Pakistan a few years ago. 
Um, so on paper, we're going into the series in poor form with a poor record away from home. We're, I think we're seventh in the world in test rankings at the moment and West Indies are sixth. I think they're one ahead of us, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's only Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe and Afghanistan yeah. actually below us at the moment. So we're, we're at our lowest point. You know, this is, it, doesn't, it actually doesn't get much worse than, than where we are now. Um, but having said that, I, I still, I don't know, I have this gut feeling that, that we can take the Test Series. Um, it, it wouldn't shock me if the Proteas won 2-0. I think, you're looking at, I think you're looking at two very fragile batting lineups and two very good bowling attacks. I think there's a lot of quality in the bowling here um, against two very fragile, fragile batting, batting lineups. Yep. So, so with your with your prediction of two nil, who do you think will be the key difference as as a player? Who who do you predict to have a big series this time from South African squad? Yeah, I mean, if if we are going to win this series, obviously you need twenty wickets to win Test cricket, right? You're not going to win yeah. without without taking your 20, 20 Test wickets. Robado, we know, is quality. Um, one of the best in the world. We need a big, big, big series from him, and we need a big series from Anrich Nokia. Those two need to, mm. you know, be taking be taking the yep. wickets that we need. I'm I'm particularly worried about I would say two players. Um, first being Quentin de Kock. He, you know, he's in he's in wretched form at the moment. Um, and if we're if we're brutally honest, he hasn't quite developed into the Test cricketer that we thought he would ten years ago when he sort of burst mm. onto the scene as an 18 year old. He was hitting hundreds for fun, you know, in his early 20s at an international level playing ODI cricket. But there was still a, a hint of immaturity in the way he went about things, often going out to stupid shots and playing reckless cricket, but you thought it's fine. The raw talent is there. When he gets to 26, 27, 28, 29, he'll have matured as a cricketer and, you know, he'll be one of those guys averaging in the high 40s, pushing a 50 kind of mark, you know, kind of like uh, Adam Gilchrist. And he just hasn't. I mean, he's, mm. he's averaging, I'd probably put it in the late 30s, which is for a not, not, isn't is that bad. Not bad? Is that not bad for a keeper batsman? Has, has Adam Gilchrist no, I mean, for, 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 taken for the expectation too high? Yeah. yeah, I mean, for a keeper batsman, it's, it's not bad at all, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But we do idolise Quinton de Kock as our, like, you know, Australia have Steve Smith, India have Vera Kohli, Kane Williamson have, um, oh, New Zealand have Kane Williamson, England have yeah. Joe Root, you know, who does South Africa have? We had A.B. de Villiers, he's gone. So, like, who's the next guy? And then you kind of lean towards Quentin Nicole because he's been there the longest. But, you know, you're averaging in your late 30s, like, like I said, again. Um, and I think he's too talented to average in the 30s, if that makes sense. So, yes, I'm probably asking a bit too much for my keeper to average in the mid-40s, but he's too talented to be averaging in the 30s, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, granted, he's been shuffled around. There's massive holes in our, you know, our yeah. middle order from three to seven. He's, he's probably batted everywhere between there. In fact, he's actually opened the batting once or twice in Test cricket. So it's a function of that. It's a function of playing for a weaker side. You know, when he was batting behind Graham Smith, Hashim Amnajar, Callis, Abid Villiers, it's obviously a lot easier. Yeah. When you're coming in and your side is 80 for six, it's a bit tougher. Yeah. And that's when that's when you don't need the the stroke play. You need someone who can actually knuckle down and face 50 deliveries. You know, it's yeah. like... And, and so, so, he, so that is a concern. We need runs from Quinton de Kock. Do you think the captaincy lifted from de Kock will make that difference? Because that, that seemed to be wearing him down. 
or I, I definitely think it was wearing him down. I mean, that's why that's why they made the change yeah. to to Dean Alger. Um, the the first criteria to be a captain of your of your country is that your your place in the side shouldn't be in question before yeah, you look at, at anything yes. else. Your yes. place your place in the side should not be in question. Um, and that's why I kind of went to Quinton de Kock by default. It was like, oh, we can't give it to Markram because, you know, he's, he's a bit all over the place. We can't give it to Bavuma because we've dropped him a few times now. Like, who does it go to? Oh, shit, you know, it has to go to Quinton de Kock. Um, and it obviously didn't work. Um, I think Dean Elder was the logical choice. It should have gone to him first. I would yep. have preferred Markram, um, but it's gone to Dean Elder. I don't think he's going to be around for much longer. I think mm-hmm. he's got... You know, he's not one of those those batsmen that's highly talented and can play till he's 36, 37 years old. He's a very gritty Graham Smith type of opener. Um, and we saw Graham Smith retired very early. I think Graham Smith retired yeah. at 33. Dean Hulk is 32. Yeah. Um, and Graham Smith was arguably on his way down. You know, he had just been dropped from the ODI side by, you know, for Quinton de Kock. And his last year, he probably averaged in like the 30s. So I don't think we've got Dean Hulk for much longer. So... Markram needs to come to the party. He needs to be the guy yeah, that takes over with that. From, from Dean Elgin in the next year or two. So if he starts, you know, if he starts having that shoddy form and, you know, that's just a recipe for disaster. So he needs to come to the party. He's averaging in the 40s now as an opener. He scored runs against Australia. He scored runs in Pakistan. He's the, he's the, the obvious choice at the top of the order. Um, but you really need him to become a senior player, having only played 20-odd test matches. So he can take over from Dean Algin, you know, a year or two or whenever it is. Yeah. And and would you say how how do you think Dean Elga will go as a captain, number one? And then would you say Dean Elga at the moment is probably one of the best openers going around? Um, yeah, I mean I I stand to be corrected, but I don't recall him captaining at a at a local level really yeah i don't think he captained his provincial side um i think he's a captain by default as opposed to a yeah. captain by you know he has these leadership qualities and he leads from the front and and whatnot um is he is he one of the best openers at the moment yeah i, I think so i think yeah. test cricket lacks quality opening batsmen right now i think we kind of used them all up in the early 2000s with hayden yeah. and smith and sewag and and those guys and we've kind of you know um, so yeah, I, I definitely think he's he's one of the best in the world. He scored hundreds on the subcontinent in Australia. You know, he scored runs all over against all sorts of bowling attacks. Um, is he the most talented opening batsman in the world? Absolutely not. But he gets the job done, and that's actually yeah. all all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. The that's, similarities that's so with Australia. True. The similarities with Australia. We've got the same issue with Travis Head when it comes to captaincy after Tim Payne because. You know, Absolutely. he's not in the team permanently. He's in and out of the side yeah. as well. So, yeah. tough one, tough one. And Dan, would you say, so would you say this series can be used by the team management to plan for the future? As you said earlier, Dean Elga is probably only going to be around for the next couple of years, maybe, or even three years um, if he stretches it. But do you think? this is where Dean Elga can pass that knowledge on to the next set of openers, you know, next set of captain, whoever that might be, maybe Markram. Um, this series can be used as a, you know, as a um, sort of a launcher for, for the next generation of South African cricketers. 
It's tough, man, because I can see I can see like a 32-year-old Dean Elgar, a 32-year-old Rusty van der Dissen, and a 31-year-old Timber Bavuma forming the foundation of that, that top mm. order, which is a problem, Good point, which is yeah. a very big problem. It's one thing if they're Hashim Hamla, Jacques Callis, and maybe the Villiers who are averaging 50s plus in their 30s, it's fine. But these are guys, you know, Rusty van der Dissen hasn't convinced me in test cricket. He's granted, he walks into my ODI side and my T20 side. He's one of the best out there at the moment. But in test cricket, he hasn't convinced me. He's averaging in his 30s. Timber Bavum has been around now, what, seven, seven years? He's averaging yeah. in his 30s. You know, you can't have you can't have the foundation of your middle order as Rusty van der Dissen and Timber Bavuma. You know, if they were if they were 21 year olds, I'd say, you know, cool, there's a ceiling. You know, they have a much bigger ceiling than than a, a, a pair of 30 year olds. But I wouldn't I, the, the three young batsmen in South Africa that 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 I really like at the moment. Um, one is Keegan Peterson, who's in the squad. Um, he'll he'll be the one that replaces Faf Duplessis. He'll come in. He'll probably bat at three or four. Okay. Then there's Carl Verena, who who's I think he's 24. He'll you know he's a keeper batsman, but he would play as a specialist yep. batsman. Um, he would come in at five. And then there's a young Renan van Tondo, who's 21, who wasn't included in the squad, which in my opinion was the biggest exclusion. You could have those three could have formed your three, four, and five. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got your three, four, and five sorted for the next 10 years, for example. We now know that within the next two or three years, Alba's gone, Van Edison's gone, and Timber Baboom is gone. Those three need to be replaced. And and a guy like Renan Fatona hasn't made the squad yet, who can play as a three or as an opener, which is a bit frustrating. Um, so I, I wouldn't have been against a very brave selection of including three youngsters as your three, four, and five. West Indies is probably the series to do it in. You don't want Reynald Fatona to debut at Sydney against Mitchell Stark and Pat Cummings, but it's okay. You know, Kimar Roach and yeah. Shannon Gabriel, you'll be fine. Yeah. If there is a series to do it, this was probably the series. Or at home against Sri Lanka, you know. Mm. Um, and and do you think with all these, you know, selection issues, do you, um, sorry to open another can of worms, but do you think this problem lies with the management? Let's just speak about Simon Harmer as well, isn't it? Like, yeah. probably you know, in, in a county championship, the best off spinner, if you can, you know, call, call him that. So why is he not selected? Does the issue lie, lie with the management? Absolutely, man. And let's call it a spade a spade. I mean, Simon Holm is the best bowler in the county system at the moment, yeah. the best spin bowler in the county system at yeah. the moment. He was one of Wisdom's five players of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And if you want to make the argument that Keshav Maharaj is better than Simon Holm, I'm fine with that. I can come to terms with that. But you can't select four spinners in a test squad and send them to the West Indies and Simon Harmer isn't part of that and not justify it. Yeah. You know, what, what is the reason? Is he, is he not eligible? My understanding is Simon Harmer's expressed his desire to play test cricket again. He yeah. desperately wants to play test cricket again. And there's been some horrendous selection policies. Faf Duplessis is not in the T20 squad. Mm. We, yep. are, we, are, we are months away from the T20 World Cup. And Faf Duplessis, our best batsman, who's just come from the IPL, where he dominates, it is not in our T20 squad. And to give you some context, sorry to go on a rant here, in no, the last no 10 T20 games, <laughs> in the last 10 T20 games that South Africa have played, we've used 27 players. Shit. Yep. 27 yeah. players in your 10 T20 games before the World Cup. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. 
and right. five duplices not include and five duplices not included in this. You've got five T20s before the World Cup against Wendy's, who are one of the strongest T20 sides in the world. And yep. You aren't picking your best your best batsman. And when when asked when Victor Mpitsang was asked, he said, "We felt that we didn't need him for this series." I'm like, mate, you have you have won two out of your last ten games. That's you won right. Two yeah. out of your last ten games, you've used how many openers have we used? We used the cock. Bavuma, Yanman Milan, Riza Hendricks, Aidan Markram. I think Plutter played a couple of years ago. Uh, We've used about seven openers just in the last two years, and you don't want to pick five people to see. It's, it's, it's literally absurd. They now, need you in that press Villiers, room, Dan. They need you in that press room asking yeah. those questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, A.B. de Villiers is a completely separate argument. He's retired yeah. and I've come to terms with that, you know. Yeah. But what about Chris Morris? One, South Africa's biggest hole in that T20 side is that six to eight position. I've always been of the opinion that a T20 side needs six bowling options. You need five batsmen, you need three all-rounders, and you need three bowlers. And our all-rounders have been all over the place. Petro Choir hasn't come to the party. He really hasn't with the ball. I mean, to give you some perspective, he's been picked essentially as a specialist batsman recently. He's been picked in the side and he hasn't bowled. They haven't let him bowl. But then he bats at eight, and you just think, like, <laughs> you know, where is the logic in this? Pick yeah. the guy, let him bowl, or don't pick him. Yep. And it, it, it's tough to see that happen when Chris Meyer is the most expensive IPL foreigner, I think. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're um, right. It was. Yeah. Yeah, could come into the side. It's just absurd. I agree. It's been musical chairs with all rounders, but you're right. It's, yeah. It speaks of uh, complete confusion. They have no clear strategy about what they want to try to do. Um, yeah, absolutely. And- and and talking about selections, do you want to have a go at selecting an, a playing eleven for the test series first? Who 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 would you select um, if you were Dean Elgott today, as it as the squad stands based on recent performances? Um, yes, I mean it would depend on conditions, but I, I'm, I, I would go Dean Elgott, Aidan Markham up front, obviously. I keep Rasafan at Disson at three, even though Keegan Peterson is actually a three, I wouldn't throw in the youngster at three. We tried that with Zubaya Hamza against England and it didn't end well. Mm-hmm. So Rasafan at Disson stays in at three. I'm, keep, I'm putting in the youngster Keegan Peterson at four, where Faf Duplessis would have batted. I'm keeping Temba Bavuma at five. Um, and then Quinton de Kock at six. And then number seven is my all-rounder. This is the only selection where I'm not 100% sure about. If we want a second spinner, and George Linda comes in at seven. If the conditions don't suit, then Vian Mulder comes in at seven. Mm. Um, Mulder is actually probably a batting all-rounder, whereas George Linda is a bowling all-rounder. So there's an argument for Mulder to bat at six and Dukak at seven. I think Dukak averages 50 batting at seven. There's this there's this sort of pressure to, to bat him up the order because he's our best batsman, that he, yeah. he can't be batting at seven. He's too good to bat at seven. But if the guy averages 50 at seven, and in the yeah. 30s at, at four or five, you bat him at seven. Yeah. You know, it's, if it's not broken, then yeah, don't fix it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I would, I would do that. And then eight, you've got Maharaj as your frontline spinner, and your fast bowlers are Rabada, Loki, and Nkidi. I mean, that pretty much, that pretty much selects itself more, more through a lack of a better alternative in a lot mm. of those positions, particularly in the in the bowling. The the lack of depth in South Africa's fast bowling at the moment is horrendous it's it's really poor it's got to the point now where Rabada and Gideon Nokia almost have to play all three formats yeah and, and would you say that's unthinkable a decade ago yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and would you say that that's 
been the key issue. If you were pinpoint one issue over the last few years, that's been the key issue that the bench strength is just not there for test cricket. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not there. I would say it, it, it hasn't been available. You know, it's been it's been playing in the UK when when the English came here and Rabada got banned for who knows what, and there was a, another injury, if I'm not mistaken, and all of a sudden, Bjorn Hendricks and Dane Patterson had to had to come into the test side, and you just think like, wait, but you know, Mourne Morkel and Carl Abbott are busy playing county cricket right now. Who have over one test series in Australia, you know, they've been yep. very yeah. successful test cricket, but like, no, we kind of, we pick our best three and then the next best is not your four, five, six, and seven. You kind of have to leapfrog into yeah. your, to your eighth, ninth, 10th choices, um, which is just, which is just poor. I mean, if I look at the next, the three seamers on the bench for the test squad, I mean, none of them are test quality. If we call a spade a spade, none of them should be mm. playing test cricket. Yeah, test cricket, test cricket team. Um, so if Rabada, you know, has an extravagant celebration and gets banned again, or if Gidi breaks down, which he has, then all of a sudden we've got, we've got provincial cricketers playing test cricket again, which you may or may not get away with against the West Indies, but you're not going to get away with it playing, playing down under or in the UK or playing in India, you know, you're going to lose four five nil. You were talking about yeah, Lumi and Gidi before, um, before we you know, talk more about Quinton Dukak and the captaincy and stuff, what are you expecting from Ngidi in this series or what do you want to see from him? So when he came onto the scene, he was, he was good. Uh, 2016, the Indians came to South Africa and we won that series, if I'm not mistaken. I think we won 2-1. Yeah. And he was very good that series. He bowled quick. He was, he, was, he was in very good physical condition. He was aggressive. Um, and he backed up the new ball bowlers really well. Um, I was very excited by that prospect because, you know, Dale Stain had sort of just retired. Vernon Philander was on the way out and Warning Walker sort of on the way out as well. So I, I was wondering where's this next scene we're going to come from when he burst onto the scene. I said, awesome, perfect. And then it just it kind of went downhill. I don't know. I think, I think a lack of competition makes these guys too comfortable. Knowing that you're competing with Bjorn Hendricks isn't going to keep me awake at night, to be 100% honest. Um, so... So he's kind of fallen off. His his physical condition isn't great, if we're honest. He's he's been sent to conditioning camps with the likes of Shamsi and and Magala and so on. Um, you know, if you want to see what a fast bowler should look like, look at Rabada and Dale Stain. Yep. You know, those guys are. Yeah. Look at Glenn McGraw. Look at Brett Lee. You know, look at these. Look at the physical condition of these guys. Um, so I'd re- I'd really like him to to come to the party as a third seamer. Um, just to show everyone, look, I am a test bowler. I deserve my spot. I'm not here because of a lack of competition. I'm here because I'm, I'm the best. Yeah. Um, in terms of T20 cricket, Dan, I know it's your most favourite format. <laughs> Tell us what you expect from South Africa in the short format of the game. I know, you know, you're talking about Fafti Plessy being left out. Do you give him a chance against this strong West Indies side? What do you think will happen? Not at all. Um, I mean, I looked at our T20 side. I said this before the squad selection. I said, if A.B. de Villiers, Faf Duplessis, Chris Morris and Imran Tahir are available, it's going to be one of the best T20 series. Or, you know, it's going to be two world-class sides going at each other. None of those guys are available. Um, the balance, like I said, the balance is all off. We have no idea of the structure of our side. We'll play yeah. six bats in one game. 
game, then we'll play five, then three all-rounders and two all-rounders. No one knows their role within the T20 side. Every T20 side needs needs a death bowler, for example. Who's the death bowler? Who bowls? You know, England know it's going to be Jordan or Archer. You know, Australia know it'll be probably Mitchell Stark. Or you know what I mean? Yeah. Who's our finisher? We have no idea. We don't. We don't have a finisher. You know, in uh, Australia, have Glenn Maxwell who can score seventy or twenty balls. We don't have one of those. Um, who are all rounders? We've we've played around with Mulder. We've played around with Pechlaquai. We've played around Pretorius. with George Linda. Played around with Pretorius. We've played around with Morris. All these guys, they just shuffle. You just we have thirty players and we just rotate them arbitrarily. Um, so there's no continuity whatsoever. I'd like to see them pick an eleven now, and stay with that eleven until the World Cup. That's that's the best shot we have. Um, let define roles. Tell pick Heinrich Klassen at six, for example, and say you are our finisher. Yeah, you will come in at six and you will go from ball one. That's your job. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yep. Who's the opener? Quinton de Kock, You're the aggressive opener. If if for example, Bavuma opens the batting, I don't expect Bavuma to score eighty of twenty balls. And and does it does it does that fall back on the captaincy because there's been so many changes with the captaincy as well? Does it, it does the well, in, instability start from there itself? It's got to be the top management. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, yeah, like I mean, that's what I mean. Like that's what I mean. The captaincy hasn't been stable, and the, that's uh, the yeah. message that team management has been sending that you know we can't even get the captaincy right. Mm. How yeah. are they going to get the roles right? I think you just need to look at, at England's blueprint for ODI cricket. Yep. How many players do you think they used over the period of the 2015 to the 2019 World Cup? They were very consistent. Mm. We've used, I guarantee you, we've used more players in our last 10 T20 games than they used in four years of ODI cricket. I can guarantee it. Yeah. And that's all, that's Probably, all you yeah. need to know. You know? That's a fair point. Like, yeah. The only way to become a good death bowler is to bowl at the death regularly. You can't pick three seamers this game, change them arbitrarily for the next game, and then change them again for the third game. And you bowl the death over this time, you bowl at this time, you bowl at this time. You know, it's it's the only way to get the only way to to develop an, a good opening partnership like a Bearstow and Roy is to open the batting with Bearstow and Roy consistently. Yeah. Quentin Lecoq has had six opening batting partners in the last year. And, you know, and that's that's what it comes down to: consistency in team selection. Picking a yeah. crop of fifteen players four years ago and sticking with them. Yeah, and all these all these issues that we have spoken about, sort of, there's one, you know, one underlining issue that that sort of gets, I wouldn't say gets swept under the carpet, but sort of it doesn't get discussed enough. As um, what I feel personally is the administration. What can you tell us about the, you know, the recent proceedings on the on the cricket administration in South Africa? Yeah, look, I mean, I can't I can't pretend to be be an expert on the ins and outs of the admin within cricket South Africa. You know, I'm not a, a journalist or, or anything like that. But the the recent sort of struggle that that have made the headlines that you guys would have seen is essentially just a an internal battle for power for the yeah. board, right? You've got cricket people who want to be in control and the Minister of Sport essentially saying that you want independent people holding those cricket people accountable. Mm. If they aren't there, then the cricket people can essentially push through any agenda that they want, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So if they have a, a policy on selection, for example, that they want, it can be pushed through because they represent the majority of the board. 
So what you were seeing was a reluctance for the members council to give up some of their power to independent directors, to businessmen, to lawyers, to anyone who would hold them accountable. That's essentially what, what that all came down to. Um, it has been sorted out now. Um, it's been approved. We have the majority of our directors are independent. So you're not going to have crazy policies and agendas pushed through with, you know, without any accountability or anything. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the issues within CSA run a lot deeper than that. Um, you know, that's a, that, that could be a, a whole other podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is the, the crux of it. Yep. And now on to the most important question. Can you provide a message for those who rate James Anderson ahead of Dale Stein? Uh, you know, I mean, I can just I can just recommend that you seek help, that you you reach out to those that are closest to you <laughs> for support. And you, I, actually, I I, I I I accept. You know, I I totally agree. I I love Dalesden, man. I'm I'm not 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 just saying because you are here, but I absolutely love Dalesden. I I've loved him in when he took that six for and bowled India out for seventy odd in Nagpur a few years yeah. ago. I absolutely loved him. Yeah. I mean, James Anderson's, long, James, uh, James Anderson's longevity has to be... Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Applauded. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. He's the Sachin Tendulkar bowling, essentially. He's yeah. just been doing what he's doing for as long as he has. It's, it's incredible. Um, but at the end of the day, cricket's a game of numbers. And if I'm a captain, I'd, I'd, rather, give, I'd rather throw the ball to Dale Stain every day of the week. Dale Stain's strike rate in Asia is better than James Anderson's strike rate in England. So that says a lot. That's insane. That's insane. That's insane, isn't it? We talk about how good James Anderson is in England and he's very great. He's a great bowler, but Dale Stane's on another level. Um, Dan, I hope to have more banter with you on Twitter. I'm sure we will. Um, You know, just to give a picture to the viewers, Dan last year started a Twitter feud with me mentioning an all-time combined South Africa-Australia 11. Put a full 11 of South Africa players and put Ricky Pant in this time. (laughs) As 12th man. <laughs> but the, my favourite part, Dan, was, was how many people would take it seriously. <laughs> Call you a disgrace for leaving Adam Yorkers out. If you had seen my DMs after some of those. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was the best. Uh, you made 2020 bearable, mate. It was awesome. Good fun. So, <laughs> mate, thank you so yeah, much. Thanks, for, thanks Dan. Um, yeah. Our listeners, don't forget to follow Dan on Twitter at DanCricket. 93 if i'm correct absolutely. yep absolutely yes yep. sir some some very good stuff there now nah, thank you so much for coming on man and all the best for the south, uh, for south africa west indies series and looking forward to chatting more about that cheers mate appreciate the time so massive thanks to dan for the insights and the laughs some awesome stuff there hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as we did um nash that wraps up episode 11 of the podcast we went through plenty today. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how the test matches unfold this week. I'm looking forward to tonight seeing how the Ireland Netherlands ODI unfolds as well. Um, and of course, the Ollie Robinson issue. We'll see what happens there. Um, any last words from you, mate, before we before we sign off? No, all good. Um, looking forward to the podcast coming out and looking forward to lots of co- content on the channel and on our social media pages. Yes, so keep, yes. keep looking out for that. Keep an Thank eye you. for that. We want to do more on YouTube and more on our Instagram and, and Twitter page. So um, Instagram and Twitter is at Creek blog pod, and you can follow on us. You can follow us on YouTube at Creek blog TV. 
So keep an eye out for that. You're going to see some, some interesting content coming up in the next uh, few weeks. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you guys soon.